Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Consider This. I'm in the studio on this fine day with the Reverend James Allen Johnson. Yep. Hello, also, Mr. Mackenzie Lou Johnson. He's, he's a reverend. Yeah. We just ordained him. <laughs> hey, also, Reverend Mackenzie Johnson. Nice. Oh, yeah. Jim was concerned <laughs> that he did not make his son's ordination. <laughs> He did. He actually helped with it. Oh, and to my second. immediate left, my brethren, the soon-to-be Anglican, <laughs> Ryan Vincent. Already in heart. <laughs> but I can't take all of you with me, so I'll drag my feet. That's true. That's true. Today, we are hitting a topic that has been in many conversations in our offices uh, with some of you all and with each other. It is, how do we know if the Holy Spirit is speaking to us? Uh, there's a lot of times I find that people attribute things to the Holy Spirit that may not actually be the Holy Spirit. So uh, the way I'd love to start this podcast today is for you all to tell us the first time you recognize the Holy Spirit move in your life. So think back when that might have been and just tell us a little bit about that. Some of you, it may be conversion or maybe not. Mine is conviction. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian family, and my mom and dad <clears throat> obviously wanted uh, the Bible and faith to be a big part of it. And not just, I'll, I'll tell you, I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel bad for what I did as much as I felt convicted. I don't know how much I would have said when I was little. And when I say little, I'm talking about in my uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old years. It wasn't like I felt bad that I did wrong things. I felt deeply convicted by something other than what I would say is my conscience about the brokenness in my life. And I've always had that. I've had weird, very powerful... Um, now I, I, I believe it's the Holy Spirit convicting me of things, but I still remember being a little boy um, getting really, really frustrated at my parents and going to my room and just kind of saying in my mind, like, I don't love them, I hate them. And I think it was the spirit that was kind of walking me through some of these thoughts. And he's done it. He does it to me today. Kind of like, let's think through this. And I remember being rather little and realizing, A, that that was not true. And that, B, there was something wrong with that attitude mm -hmm. inherently. And I just remember going, okay, I'm never going to be like that again. I'm never going to have those thoughts again. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've had a lot of those convicting moments uh, throughout my life, recognizing and uh, th there's a, a sin in me, a brokenness in mm -hmm. me. And I, I've always, well, I shouldn't say always, as I, the older I get, the more that I realize, I believe that is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of, and like I said, not just of a sin, it wasn't like of a sin. It was of like a sinner, yeah, right? Like who was, you are. It was who I was. So I was always overwhelmed. The Holy Spirit was always convicting me of like who I was. And strangely enough, in our culture where it's so important that we affirm one another, like the Holy Spirit was so not affirming of me. Hmm. He was so honest about my brokenness. And yet I felt love in that, in that context too. Hmm. So anyway, hmm. so I would say that as I thought about that question, that those really were the overwhelming um, first thoughts that I actually had was of my brokenness and my need for for God. At what point did you realize that was the Holy Spirit, not just a conscience thing? Do you remember? Yeah, probably early twenties. Hmm. I began to I began to feel very similar things, and I began to connect the dots. 
Um, and so I, I think I would have just said before it was more of a conscience. It's what, you know, my parents taught me those things. And then when I began to think about that, no, they never did. My parents never had that conversation with me. Like there's something else that's, it's convicting me. I'd look at my brothers and sisters who heard the same things and some were actually even better convicted than me and some were less convicted than me. And so I'm going, okay, so it's not a family issue. So I, I just, I believe the Holy Spirit works and I can't explain how he works. He's like the wind. Hmm. Um, but my, my first ones were a, uh, were a conviction. And like I said, not just that I did something bad because I did a lot of things bad, but just that I was, I was in need of something that hmm. was, uh, that was divine. Hmm. Mac, what about you, brother? Um, I think the earliest one that I could remember would be around high school age, and it was a similar idea. It was a conviction. Mine was a conviction of an of an attitude. So it's it's a little bit of who I was, but it was also the things that I was doing. It was a co- deep conviction um, that wasn't my conscience because at that time I had already suppressed my conscience, so it shut up, um, which is very possible. So um, it was a unique time when I wasn't I wasn't wanting to be receptive but God spoke to me Mm. and literally just kind of shook me a little bit but as I look like as I use that to discern how God has moved like God has been speaking through the Holy Spirit to me since before I can even remember I, I don't even remember I remember my baptism I couldn't tell you any of the conversations that we had surrounding it but I mean, I trust that those of you who are around me, you knew that what was yeah. going on was Holy Spirit stuff. So it's like thinking that I've been, I've had this relationship with the Holy Spirit longer than I can possibly remember. Mm-hmm. And now using the tools that I have now and the experiences that I have now on how I've been able to navigate some of his movements, I can look back and go, oh yeah, like that was easily the Holy Spirit. And they, it seems like they have a pattern. So as I start to be aware of these things, I start to realize the way that he moves yeah. to me. Yeah. So it's right like around a, there. Would you say, Mac, it's like a language that you may yeah. not fully understand, but then you learn to speak it. Yeah. Mm. And you're like, oh, that's how that language mm. works. Because mm-hmm. that's that's how I've always thought about it. It's it's literally like learning a language. And at first you're just like a kid listening. And then you begin to connect the words. And then you begin to speak. Yeah. That's and then really you begin helpful. to understand it. That's yeah. That's how I've always understood it yeah Yeah. that's helpful and i think we're going to get to the later like teach us how to learn the language teach us the new language Mm -hmm. so we'll get to that a little bit because i think that'll be a good illustration for us to run with how about you ryan mine is more of a conversion story i mean i I even alluded to it a little bit on sunday Mm -hmm. and kind of how i came to faith through the reading of scripture um and and i i love telling the story but just Reading through, it was the first six chapters of John's Gospel. This has been the first time, I, in, in my memory anyway, that I sat down with an intent to understand what was being said. And I made it, I was going to read all of the Gospel of John with somebody, and I made it through six chapters. And it was when Jesus preaches the, the Sermon on the Bread of Life and kind of clears the room with this weird <laughs> cannibalistic language. I knew that would be one thing that would have triggered you. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 you know, he turns to, to his disciples and says, or, or what about you guys? You guys out of here too. And they said, where else would we go? You yeah. alone have the words of life. And, yeah. and it was at that, it was like suddenly, to, to borrow language from another book, the scales fell off and I realized that I had to deal with that statement by Peter, yeah. mm-hmm. that you alone have the words mm-hmm. of life. Where else would we go? And I had, and I, I, I felt this overwhelming need to figure out if that is true, then everything changes. 
and and I cannot attribute that to my intellectual ability. I cannot attribute that to the reasoning ability of, of the person that I was reading through this with. I, I can only think that it was the spirit moving on me. Uh, that's the only way that I've been able to explain it. And I've had many moments ever since, especially as I engage with scripture, but in even spirit filled conversations yep. with other yep. believers <laughs> where I just, I don't, it's not like I blank out and I, and I, you know, I, I have no idea where that came from. It's more like all of a sudden I have an overwhelming clarity about something that it's not like those were the first time I've ever seen those words in John six, but it was the first time that they cut me to the soul. Hmm. And that like, I've only ever been able to explain that as the spirit moving on me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think mine would two stick out in my mind is the first was conversion. I remember hearing the gospel presented on Easter Sunday, 1998 at Gallagher Iba arena by Andrew Liston. And just at the end of it, there being this opportunity, like, if you believe this, like, this is now a time where you respond mm -hmm. and feeling this overwhelming, like, I need to do this. I need to, I, I believe this. There's something within me that's, I feel like, leading me to do that, make that walk up there. And I did, was baptized by my dad a couple of weeks later after some conversations. And then, actually, the other Jim played a big role in, in 2010, um, I, since my baptism had not followed Jesus as the Bible prescribes and read the book of James and the clear distinction between somebody who hears the word and then doesn't do what it says and how foolish yeah, that is. I remember that and conversation. I, I re literally read the book of James and felt just this weight, mm -hmm. this I could not describe like th there was something within me that was being ripped open and I had I just read that book two three four times in that that sitting and started meeting with Jim to talk about like why all of a sudden do I just want to read my Bible all the time <laughs> and why would I rather be helping out at this youth ministry than playing baseball or going to school and he started pointing me toward the direction of the spirit working in my life. And as I read the scriptures, that all lined up and quickly realized that was getting into um, a life of ministry, a life of marrying Debbie Burks. Nailed Debbie it. Burks. All of that came to fruition. You know, and it's interesting, and, and I, I, you know, Justin, I kind of know where we're going, but it, it's fascinating that when we talk about conversion, there is the conversion of lost to saved, but then there's conversion of saved to more saved. Maturity. Right? Which we believe that, maturity. Mm -hmm. So it's not just... You know, I, I think in many ways I've been converted over and over and over mm. again as I relive my baptism or as I relive the implications of my baptism, um, that even so much of the repent and believe cycle is I don't I don't get re justified, right. but I do get I do get more whole. Mm -hmm. And so the conversion of um I mean the work of the spirit is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come from John sixteen. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the Spirit does. It convicts us of these things. And I think when it convicts us of sin, sometimes we can just not thinkingly, we can just go, oh, feel bad about what we've done. But Paul says, no, 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 that is worldly sorrow. But genuine repentance is something that leads to a changed life. That's what Paul says. So the kind of conversion that we're talking about isn't just from lost to saved, but it is from a follower of Jesus Christ. Like something happened at Gallagher Iba for you. Something happened at, with Mackenzie. I remember his baptism. I remember how passionate he was about things. I remember talking about why he would break because of brokenness that was going on in his life. And the Holy Spirit continues to do that. Why would he do anything different? 
It's what he's doing. He's making himself more aware of the reality of who he is. And then the more that we are in that relationship, the more that we are like converted. Mm. Um, I just taught on this last night. And it's interesting that the Webster definition of conversion is to change form, character, or function. Mm. That's the Webster's definition. And I, I, I'm, I just can't get rid of that. My form changes, um, my character changes, and my function changes. Mm. And so I thought that was kind that's of interesting. That's not bad. It's, yeah, it's really kind of neat. not bad. It's really kind of neat. So that's what the Holy Spirit, if you want to know what the Holy Spirit's going to do, it's not just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, I need to be converted today into more of like Christ and less yeah. of, of my old self, my yeah. sinful self. Yeah. So I mentioned it a little bit, just how the Spirit, I felt the Spirit leading me into ministry specifically. Uh, I would love to hear from you all just the Spirit's role in leading you to where you are today, specifically a life of ministry. Mac would love to hear from you what was the Spirit's role in your saying yes to Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, so was it the Holy Spirit that led you into ministry <laughs> specifically, or was it just you responding in general to what you felt like the Scriptures were commanding? Um, help help walk our listeners through that. Ryan, you want to start? Yeah, I mean— it is it is complicated. You know, I love when when people ask me, you know, de- describe your call into ministry, and I'm just like, ah, you're asking me to articulate like a seven year drawn out process, <laughs> as if it were a singular moment. And mm. and really, it's it was a process of at 19 becoming a devoted follower of Jesus, 1920, and then um, in the middle of a a career trajectory that went. A different direction than where I am now but I mean here's here's the here's what I can say with certainty throughout my time studying um, architecture there were four to five times where I wanted to bail completely because I wanted to do ministry it wasn't like I didn't like architecture it wasn't that I didn't have a gift for it and I didn't have like a promising career in there it's it was more like my passions were changing mm-hmm. yeah and I just I had this nagging feeling. <laughs> Quite honestly, I I it was the reason I resisted it as long as I did is I'm good at what I'm doing. There's a lot more of like a financial security in the direction that I'm currently going, mm-hmm. and this is what I kind of always thought I was going to do. And I just kind of fought with it and fought with it and fought with it, and um, even so much as to take a position after graduating. Now, I won't say that God tanked the economy to send me into ministry, but um, when you're graduating, the year was 2008. <laughs> when you're graduating college in that 2008-2009 era, and uh, and your whole world is built around building big shiny buildings, and then everybody runs out of money. First thing they stop doing is building buildings. So, I had to like the job that I was going to go take in, on the East Coast fell through at the very last second and they felt terrible, but you know, that's how it works out. And they were even saying, okay, but we're going to bring you here. We just can't do it right now. And, and for whatever reason in my mind, this would, this would have been like two weeks before graduation in my mind, that was it. I'm done my break. (laughs) Like I'm like, I I felt half hearted in this. And so then I I turned and I came home and two weeks before graduation told Rachel, I'm not going back. I'm going to seminary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she just burst into tears because she's like, oh, we've been doing this for a long time. But 
all that to say, I did end up, you know, teaching at OSU for a while 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 figuring out seminary things, and then eventually going into ministry a number of years later. But vocational ministry. But here's the complicated part. It's not as though when Jim hired me in 2013, I started doing ministry. Yeah. He hired me I in many have. ways because— Actually, I wouldn't have if that was the case. Yeah, in many ways because <laughs> that was already built into my life. It just so happened to become my vocation yeah. at that point. Um, and so did I have a clear spiritual call to ministry? I can't put my finger on what that point is, but I can say that it is unmistakable to me that the Spirit was haranguing me for years— to, to consider how I'm going to serve him with my life. And had that been architecture, I don't think that that would have been wrong. It just would have been a different direction, and the Spirit could have worked with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if that's... No. Well, it might be like a changing of form and character and function, you <laughs> might say. You know, and it's a process, yeah. not it's a process. not always a moment. could yeah. be a moment. For yeah. some people, sure. it may be like, okay, there was a very distinct moment in time. Yeah. But there's not, I wouldn't say there's a one, two, three, this is how you know you're in ministry. It yep. might look different for different mm -hmm. people. Yep. Jim, what about you? Um, very similar to Ryan's in some respect. Um, was kind of headed in a different direction. Was working, recently married. Andrew and I had spent a couple of years. She was working in a pharmacy, and I was working at a, a company that was uh, trying to develop their kind of their financial planning portfolio. And I always had an interest in finance and kind of how those things worked and kind of had a gift at sales. And so um, was pretty successful, and it was kind of heading along. And there was like this dissatisfaction in what I was doing. I found uh, I was involved in ministry deeply. We had started leading a uh, what the, back then it was called a tender loving care group. Mm. It was nineteen eighty nine. TLC <laughs> TLC groups. Oh, um, and uh, I just remember loving that. Like I I loved studying the Bible. I loved life group night. I loved sitting down and talking with them about life. And it just that consumed me more and more. And then I found myself becoming increasingly dissatisfied. And it was weirdly at a time when I was experiencing some good success and some even some upward mobility vocationally. And it just wasn't working. Um, it just wasn't satisfying. And I really, I've always had this um, natural impulse to want to talk about right and wrong and death and living and all these things, I just, I find them, is there a God? Is there not a God? Well, how do you know there's not a God? And I think there is a God. And so why is there right? And why is there wrong? And what happens when we die? And why are we here? So no matter what I do, I'm going to be talking about those things. Mm. And so it just became this increasing obsession. But I'd already spent a semester of Bible college. And never once in that semester do I ever remember thinking for a second about going into ministry. Mm. I was just there to learn the Bible and I'm going to use it in my life. But I'm not here to I'm not here to be a pastor. And so I did a whole semester of that. And then I take these couple of years off and then all of a sudden in May of um 2000 Andrea and I just kind of get the 2000 no, sorry, 1990. Andrea and I have this come to Jesus moment um where the Holy Spirit seems to say, yeah, you my 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 call in that sense was a you will not be satisfied unless you're here. And I went, okay, I'll go. Hmm. And Andrea said, we'll go. Hmm. That's cool. Mac, walk, walk us through saying yes to Poland. So it was probably like a six-year process, all, yeah. all in the works. As, as I look back on it, it would be um, the, the strongest moment that I felt God moving was I had my plan to go to college and had looked at some scholarship stuff with the military. 
and um, was planning to go to OSU and do a business degree. I'm interested in business. I really enjoy that kind of lifestyle. And so I had kind of put all my chips in that. And um, my dad told me that I should go to a Tuesday tour at Ozark. It was the last one that they were offering in, what was that, 2013, I think. And so I went and um, I had always known I had a desire to, I had always loved thinking. I would always loved theology. I had always loved the Bible. I just think I wasn't aligned, right? Um, and so I went and I, it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. It was just so (laughs) good to hear Chris DeWelt talk about missions. And it was so good to hear Kenny Bowles preach, uh, from third John that nobody ever does. And so it was just like, so, um, saturating for my soul and just all the guys hanging out in the dorms and all that stuff. Um, and so I was kind of won over to Ozark and, when I was on my way home, I remember my dad texting me. He's like, hey, what do you think? I was like, man, I really think I need to go to Ozark. So I come home, and the letter that I was waiting on from Fort Knox w- had come the night that I was gone. And so we had been waiting for it for like three months. So it comes home, and he says, okay, here you go. So he hands me the letter, and I don't open it. And I say, I, no matter what this says, I'm going to Ozark. I think God's calling me to Ozark. So I open it up, and it says, we regret to inform you. I didn't read the rest. I just threw it away. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> so I, m- I went to Ozark and, you know, studied my tail off. Now, you might disagree, but I studied and learned a lot. We have different <laughs> definitions of studied my tail off. I also but had yes. a I also had a full time job and was married the whole time. I so. was married and had two children. Uh, also had a job. Didn't so you keep start going. Bible college at twenty five? No. Okay. <laughs> I think I am twenty five. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so so I studied and I learned and um I didn't have any set plans on what I was going to do. So I had been working with an organization, um, and we helped individuals with disabilities, specializing in uh, intense um, mental disabilities and mental illnesses and behavioral disabilities. So it was a really dangerous job. It was really enjoyable. Um, I built a lot of relationships, and I found that I was good at it. I think I was good at it. Um, I was well appreciated, and my bosses liked me, and so I was pretty personable. And so I had relative success in that, and I was really happy with what I was doing. It was pretty stressful, but... I mean, it took care of me and Olivia way beyond what we needed. Um, so we were blessed by that. And so I was always okay to just be there. If I if we didn't get a specific call was as we're getting into our senior year and then we have an additional fifth year, if we didn't get a specific call, we both agreed we would stay. We would just stay in Joplin. I would work for the Ark of the Ozarks and Olivia would get a teaching job. And so, that I mean, it would have worked out great. Um, and I probably would have gone to seminary and then maybe work at Ozark or whatever. So we were just kind of happy with whatever it was because what, like Ryan said, our lives will always be, um, lived missionally. So it will always be us being ministers of the word. So that would never change, but my vocation was always up to God's will. And so if we didn't receive something specific, it was just going to be generic. So when I go over to Poland, just on the fact finding trip, seeking trip, uh, with Sunnybrook, the summer going into my fifth year at Ozark for my BTH, um, I went in and all of the things that God had taught me to love lined up and clicked. All of the things that they did and how they addressed their culture and the way that they worked with their people and how integrated they were and just how uh, big their view of God was. Um, the first moment that I thought, man, this is really, really neat. I was walking through the city of Piotrkov and John, who's over the school, was walking with me and I was curious because I had had an interest in church planting. And so I asked him, how do you know who's going to be the people who you plant in the next church? And he said with a straight face, the Holy Spirit just gives us somebody. And I was like, this isn't a real person. 
Nobody <laughs> believes that anymore, you know? And I was just like, dang, I like you and I like your friends <laughs> and I like everyone that works here. And so I just I went back to my room and I had been in a season of um of alignment where I think that at any whatever God had said to me, I was ready to receive it. And so a lot of things were aligned. Um, and I went back to my hotel room, and I had just said no two weeks earlier to going to Japan with Mustard Seed. Mm -hmm. um, there's some, some difficulties with Olivia. She wasn't really comfortable with the culture, and so it kind of said no to the missional thing, and then we're, I'm in Poland, and I'm sitting on my bed, and I just see the word here. And Olivia was not there. So yeah, Olivia you're, wasn't you're there. You're processing this by yourself. By myself, with the Spirit. So I see the word in my head here, and I literally thought, oh, no. Like, God is now calling us to go to Poland after we had just said no to Japan. And I called Olivia and I said, hey, um, I think it was the first time I had called her in the whole trip. I said, hey, I know we just said no to Japan, but what do you think about Poland? And I just kind of talked about what the ministry was like. And she said, I'm at peace with that. And so that initial call was so specific um, that I was so confident and I, Olivia was so willing. And then we took it all of the things that had happened, we took it and we actually like handed it over to the people who had authority in our lives. So it was, hey, dad, this is what we think we need to do. Does that sound right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not just me and Olivia discerning the will of the Holy Spirit. It's the community of God discerning the will of the Holy Spirit in, yeah. in each other's lives. Yeah. Yeah. So we took advantage of that and and it was a resounding, yeah, you you need to do this. That's so awesome. that's, that's how that all worked out. That's awesome. In January, you will... Uh, began the Poland side of it. You've already begun the fundraising side of it. Yes. That's awesome. So here's where I want to kind of move to now. We've kind of shared a little bit of how the Spirit has moved within us. Um, let's move to kind of how the Spirit, or how the Bible, well, interesting, I would say that, uh, <laughs> how the Spirit through the Word of God speaks about the Spirit. Yeah. And then how do we teach our people to know that they're actually hearing from the Spirit of God and then what the Spirit of God is saying. Because I think all of us have either personally witnessed or sure. experienced times where we thought the Spirit might be saying something, yeah. um, and it, that didn't actually turn out to be the case. So tell us, what does the Bible say about it, and how do we give our people the language? In a nutshell, and I'll, I'll make this short, um, I know that the Spirit said that for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life know that. I mean, 100%, I know the Spirit of God said that. I believe that the Spirit of God said to me, um, I want you to look at me, and I want you to trust me in moving to Stillwater, Oklahoma. Okay? Those are those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So one is the Word of God, which I just, I know John 3.16. Mm -hmm. There's two levels of certainty. I, I, I believe, and I, I love the idea of certainty. Though, so I would tell you, like, I was, I'm I'm really convinced that I we needed to come to Stillwater in 2004, and I can give you lots of reasons why. <laughs> um, I'm okay with not being as sure of that as I am John 3:16 um, or Ephesians 2: 1 through 8. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Jim acknowledging and admitting there is degree of certainty that comes in recognizing the work and the role of the Spirit. And so when the when the Word comes to me. Um, from the word itself, then that is what I use as more of a focal point to help everything else begin to make sense. And so I would begin to, I, I always try to line up any kind of word I'm sensing the Spirit saying to me, does this fit in line with what I know the Spirit has said mm -hmm. to me in Scripture? 
So that's the first place I always go back to. Mm-hmm. And then I always go back to doing that by bringing in people in my life that I know and trust. And so um, we, you'll hear us say this a lot. Sunnybrook, Word of God, Spirit of God, people of God, mm-hmm. that those three things work together. Yep. And so I would say recognizing and discerning the Spirit is, first of all, recognizing there are uh, different levels of certainty that exist, um, and you need to prioritize those and then begin to unify them mm. and, and kind of recognize that they, they genuinely gel together and they become consistent and whole. Mm-hmm. And when they do, when they line up and when they fit, that is when I become more and more certain. If the scripture is ever saying something different than what you think you're hearing, it's probably not the scripture that is wrong and needs to change. Yeah. Right. And so definitely we, not. Or same with the people <laughs> of God. If like a yeah. community you have is sure. telling you something, you're like, I'm not at peace with that, or that does not line up with what I see in scripture. Yeah, those are red flags. And the yeah. reason yep. there's you and same with the scriptures. If yep. we're reading something and we think it means one thing, but actually like the tr- the authority of the church is coming along and saying no that that is actually not what you think it yep. means all yep. of those things work together i really mm-hmm. think that's helpful and something that has um really given us direction in how we do ministry and how we function in this life well and i'll tell you one thing it does is it really confronts a lot of the um the relativism that exists in the church sure. so forget yeah. the world right i mean there's relativism in the world but there's relativism in the church mm-hmm. oh you know that's what justin and morgan and drew believe about how to raise kids mm. And I want to say, no, but I'm gonna, before we even just go into whether or not that's their perspective, I know there are certain opinions that they can have, but then there are certain things that are just biblically true. And we can't just keep dismissing our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't just dismiss what the church has taught for 2,000 years. So whenever you find yourself casually dismissing and go, oh, yeah, like there's different views, I love to confront people and say, well, what are those different views? Like, have you actually looked at it? Or are you just saying there are different views so that you can take a contrary view Mm. or even a contradictory view Mm. that exists and not kind of working through the hard part of reconciling the ideas or or the hardest part of submitting your idea to the text and to the people of God? Yes. Uh, Mac, Ryan, anything you would add helping our people understand the language of the Spirit in their own life? Yeah, I I think... Just kind of hearing you describe that, I think that especially in the U.S., we have we've developed a culture that that favors the minority position, the minority view, the contrarian position, the person who's novel and kind of running against the grain. We really like to champion those causes. Those <laughs> those skeptics are the smartest. Yes, uh, hermeneutic <laughs> of suspicion or skepticism, yeah. and yeah. and really in in a community animated by the spirit of God. The minority position is actually a pretty dangerous spot to be in. If I if I find myself on, on in a room full, Steve's in here. You guys can't see him, but Steve's in here. So I got four guys hey, here that that know and love the Lord and have in, in, over the course yeah. of their lives given yep. witness to yep. a yep. life built around Jesus and His kingdom. And you guys are on position A on a subject, and I'm taking the opposite view. I need to start sweating bullets yep. that I'm disagreeing with <laughs> yep. you guys. Yep. Especially on primary, you know, sure. core issues, sure. and and I, one of my favorite ways I've ever heard this described is as it relates to hit church history. We, you know, we love to poke holes in history, like it because it's old, it's bad. But Andrew Wilson, a pastor in the UK, he he calls people yeah. out for this when he says, um, particularly on doctrinal issues, that Christians ought to have what he calls a humility of orthodoxy mm-hmm. that says 
just because it's old. In fact, because it's old, it's probably got more credibility than you think. Yep. Mm -hmm. If for 2,000 years the church has believed something, if they, they believed A, and you in 2018 are now going to espouse position B, he just says that is a you better be right. <laughs> and he's, not, he's not he's not saying it's impossible for sure. you to correct, you sure. know, but he's just saying you better get your ducks in a row because Augustine got it wrong. Anselm got it wrong. Aquinas got it wrong. All these Titans, Calvin, Luther, the, all these guys got it wrong. Jonathan Edwards. None of us have had an idea that Jonathan Edwards didn't think through. Right. <laughs> and and for you to all of a sudden say, no, that's not how we're going to do this. So that's not how we're going to raise our kids. And it's just like. That is a, I, I, I even talked about this a little bit in the, in the message on Sunday. That is a sweet sounding arrogance yeah. that mm -hmm. just, it, it, it doesn't sound like the spirit of God speaking out of you right now mm -hmm. at all. Well, and it's interesting because you just, you just went into like theology and understanding God and we're talking about the Holy Spirit speaking and you're saying, you know, if, as I listen to you, Ryan, you're describing those like in many ways, there are a tremendous amount of overlap. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think sometimes we don't think like that. We don't think that our thoughts, um, that our convictions about a text or about, uh, you know, some of that stuff really is the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of it is, is because we, I like how Mackenzie said that that, that wasn't my conscience. I had, I had suppressed my conscience. Mm -hmm. So I know it wasn't my conscience that was doing that. So it had to be something else. I think it was the Spirit. And we need to begin to talk like that. We need to begin to recognize those things that those thoughts and those convictions or, um, that attitude that I have, where is that coming from? And to do the difficult work of then submitting and sorting through and having a category that is beyond the psychological or the sociological, but is definitely spiritual, mm -hmm. right? You said this on your, in your message on Sunday, that the kingdom is, is a spiritual component. Mm -hmm. And I think what's, what's really lacking in us, as a, even, and I'm taking it as a church community, is a, a recognition of the spiritual nature mm -hmm. Which it sounds so crazy to say, doesn't it? It does. But we don't, I don't think we give enough recognition to it. So Mackenzie made a career choice by going to Poland. I made a career choice. My, my unbelieving friends thought I was making a career choice, mm -hmm. and I wasn't. I was, and, and, and forgive me those times where I, I kind of used their language. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I answered a call. Mm -hmm. We need more weird language. Mm. That's true language in the church because yeah. this is a weird thing. It's yeah. not like the way of the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think. One thing I would caution people is that, um, you know, thinking about the book of Acts and Paul and being told by the Spirit not to go somewhere yeah. and then being on the way somewhere and like a group of elders and really strong believers, mature yeah. believers yep. coming and saying, don't go, don't go. And he's like, no, I, this is one place the Spirit has led me to go, so I'm yeah. going to go, is take that and translate it to you. Ryan's in the room with these four guys. We call him out on something that's not an essential issue. And he says, I hear what you're saying. I love you. I need to do what the Spirit's led me to do. That'll happen as well. <laughs> and so what that can do in people that I've seen is lead them to a little bit of anxiety. There's just frustration. Like, sure. so how can I know? Yeah. How can I know that the Spirit is actually talking if you're telling me that other believers who have the Spirit, who have been discerning the Spirit's work, might be wrong at times about what they think the Spirit is saying. So how, how can I know? And I think there needs to be a level of peace. Mm -hmm. Jesus says that in John, that I've given you this. It's a spirit of 
peace. It's the spirit of truth. It reveals truth to us, not only when we're reading the scriptures, not only in those conversations, though he does remind us of the truths of Jesus, but it is the spirit of peace that comes upon us. And it, I love how um, you describe that moment with Mm -hmm. Liv that, she didn't have any context before this. She just knew you were there. She didn't know that this would happen, but there was some level of peace with that. Yeah. And I don't think the spirit is meant to give us anxiety, though sometimes it may convict us. Sometimes sure. it may reveal something in us that we need to change, um, but ultimately it leads us to a change of form into the likeness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That ultimately is a life of peace. Now, um, I, want, I want to say something on that real quick. Okay. I know we're getting near the end. I know we may no, have got a few me. minutes over. What did I say wrong? Well, no, you didn't say anything wrong. I just, I love it. But I want to make sure that we understand that that peace is, um, I had a couple of friends, um, and now they're at some big churches, one in California and the other one in Vegas. And when both of them made changes to those churches, we, they didn't really know where that was going to go. Hmm. Okay. But I, I remember both of them saying to me, I needed to take on these ministries and it didn't matter what happened. Like, it didn't matter what happened at all. This could this could literally crash and burn around me. Um, I could totally fail in what I'm doing. I just know God called me to do this. The The result is not the what I'm saying yes not, to. Yes. I'm saying yes to the Spirit, yes. and that's what I'm going to rest and so, in. so often we have I don't have peace that my son and my daughter-in-law and my grandbaby that I love so much— I don't have peace that they're going to go to be Poland to go to Poland and have a successful ministry and mm-hmm. plant this church and thousands and millions are going to come. I, I don't have that peace. I have a peace that they're going to go to Poland, and the Lord said, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Yes. And that is the peace that I have for my yes. family. Yes. Um, and so when Andrea and I left, the peace that came was not any promise of anything Mm-mm. other than you're doing what I told you to do. And I, I had no idea if I'd end up on a cross or if I'd, I mean, I didn't know, or if I'd end up in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I didn't know exactly at all where I was going to be ending up. I, and I had a peace. Yeah. It talks. This is a a spiritual, a godly version of peace, not like the world. Would not think like about. the world. So, that's so good. that's the part I think we just got to make sure that we teach our people: peace doesn't equal success. Mm-hmm. Peace equals something that is actually deeper and richer that the church has been talking about and preaching about. And you and and you might not get it. And for those of you that don't get what we're describing, I feel sorry for you. Mm-hmm. But it's Sabbath. Yeah, it is. It's that's rest. What it is. Yeah, it's, it's Sabbath. It's rest. It's good. Yeah. Well, a couple of things we want to remind our listeners about. Um, We want to hear from you on things you want to hear us talk about. We're actually going to do a QA and a podcast coming up in the next uh, month or two that we're we're going to put a bowl in the middle, just draw out either text that you want us to um, exegete or questions you might want us to answer. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, and another thing, we hope to do a podcast on how do we know if the Spirit's moving amongst us. Uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, as we're going through specifically, we see... Um, tongues coming. We see healings happening. Um, And nowadays, why does it seem like it's harder for us to discern the Holy Spirit being poured out on a person? Or is it? So um, we love you guys, and we hope to see and hear from you soon.